coming up on this episode of East Screen West Screen. We'll talk about some trailers, uh, the host for the next Hong Kong Film Awards, and Paul will talk about Aaron Kwok's new film, Port of Call. This is East Screen West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Hello and welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I am your host, Paul Fox, and coming to you from his news desk in Santa's workshop is Mr. Kevin Ma. Ho, 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 Paul. How you doing? Indeed. Ho, ho, ho. It is the holidays time, to be sure. Uh, my vacation actually starts tomorrow, so we're recording on my vacation eve, as it were. And I believe you'll be taking a short hiatus yourself in a not, not, not too distant future, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, Christmas um, back in the States for about a week. Um, yeah, trying to catch on it. I feel guilty. You know, I'm seeing family. And the other thing I'm really excited about is, is trying to figure out which films I want to watch when I'm there. So yeah. that's kind of messed up. But. In, indeed. No, I, I know the feeling. Um, before I was married, it was one of my, my biggest points of excitement was always... Uh, running down to Blockbuster. You remember Blockbuster? <laughs> and just, you know, seeing what all, what what kinds of not not the mainstream stuff, but you know, they always had these, you know, crazy direct to video stuff that you'd never heard of before and just going through and browsing, you know, all this new stuff that I normally wouldn't have access to over here in Hong Kong and just, you know, renting a ton of it and just staying up all night and of course I got married that changes and uh, now uh, have a little bit less time to do that, and there's no blockbusters anymore, unfortunately. But uh, I can still reminisce and uh, turn to the occasional iTunes or, or Netflix uh, download when necessary. Yeah, I suppose you know, not being tied down or you know, kind of a negative connotation, but that kind of not having that kind of uh, thing in my life meant that I took in the Star Wars marathon over the weekend. Ah, yes, yeah. So you finally made it. Well, uh, I did it ten years ago, so I'm doing it again. Now, did um, you did you do the uh, the full six or just I the did all six? Oh. Baby. I did four on Saturday, and then you know, t- only taking a break to go watch Port of Call, mm. and then and then uh, Sunday I watched the other two, and then watched another film. Uh, so, kudos to you, sir. Kudos. Uh, what did you do? Did you do the original order, or did you do um, the line- linear one, two, three, four, five, six? In linear, it just makes sense to do a linear order. I mean, you can't just jump. At points of a story, I think watching it in the linear order uh, kind of gives the story, the structure of the whole story, a little a bit of an interesting twist. I think um, people talk about Empire as the, as is the dark middle film, but actually with now Revenge of the Sith, it's now kind of the Empire Strikes Back of the entire saga, right? It's really the dark point of the whole story, and then New Hope sort of brings it back alive. So it's kind of an interesting structure and. Upon this viewing, actually, I found I had a lot more favorable impression of Revenge of the Sith. I do admit. Yeah. Send your emails to the Golden Rock at. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, we we did a marathon two weeks ago, and it was uh, just the original trilogy. Uh, that was enough for me, I think. Um, I have I have mixed feelings on on the prequels. Um, I tend to I, I tend to like I think Revenge of the Sith um, the most, and the other two there are bits and pieces um, that that work for me, and and bigger part bigger portions that do not. But I, it's interesting because. I have a friend who's uh, a big Star Wars fan, and he said, it, well, you can, all, of course, watch it in the original, you know, release order, four, five, six, one, two, three, but he says, when you watch it in the linear order, the it becomes less about Luke Skywalker and much more about Darth Vader, right, and, and the right. whole thing is really more about Darth Vader's, you know... Um, you know his rise as a Jedi, his fall, and then ultimately his redemption. Right. So it 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 does present it in a slightly different manner. Um, but uh, yeah, I just did I just did the three, and I think that's enough for uh, this year. So uh, kudos to you, sir, for all your diligence. Thank you. Well, next next coming up is is the Rocky marathon because I um, um I have not seen the Rocky films and I would like to see Creed when I go back to the states. So that's kind of my next thing. Um, hopefully get it done next couple weeks. So you've never seen any of the Rockies? I've never seen any of the Rockies. Okay. Yeah, I, I've seen the original. I've seen uh, let's see, n- n- number two I saw, which was the rematch. Number three is Mr. T. I think, and then number four is, is third film, or is that Dolph Lundgren? Yeah, the, the, uh, the Russian might be in the third film. Okay, so yeah, number three is Dolph Lundgren, and number four is Mr. T. Those are the those are the ones that I've seen. Anything beyond that, um, I, I haven't seen, and I I'm not a big fan of of uh, boxing um, in any event, so I just haven't been motivated to, uh, to see the others, and um, I doubt Creed is gonna maybe prompt me to go go much further. And, and look at the ones I haven't seen. I think. Um, I think perhaps the only one you have to watch before Creed would be the the last one, Rocky Balboa. Yeah. Um, but but I would like to try and at least watch the first one. And once you start the first, you kind of want to watch all the ones that are Apollo Creed. And then once you start start on that, then you kind of you only get you know, two three films to go, so you might as well kind of fill in the blank. You know, it just oh, let's see what happens. Yeah. Well, three. I mean, the the one with Dolph Lundgren, you just have to watch for the the whole. Rah Rah America, James Brown, you know, sing, singing "Living in America," and uh, Dolph Lundgren saying, "I must break you," and uh, that's that's, <laughs> that's that's fun. And then uh, the other one is, you know, the, the rise of Mr. T, uh, you know, "I pity the fool" kind of stuff. Um, it's it's interesting to see that in in the whole context of everything that that kind of built up over the years. Um, so yeah, I mean, and speaking of uh, f- f- boxers and franchises. We also have a franchise here in Hong Kong, of course. Uh, that is Donnie, Donnie Yen's Hitman Donnie. 3, featuring Mike Tyson. Uh, you know, the be afraid for your ears. Uh, so um, we've heard a lot of rumors, a lot of stories um, the past months in the build-up to this. Uh, some of those have been since debunked, so we know we're not getting a CGI Bruce Lee. Um, they have an actor playing the role. And uh, based on the trailer... Eh, you know, I mean, I'll see it. I, I haven't seen anything that's really, you know, uh, knocked my socks off, so to speak. Um, as I was telling some someone else, um, for me, I think the series peaked at the tabletop fight between Donnie and Sammo. Right. Um, 
but that's just for my own taste. No, I, 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 I mostly agree with you actually there, Paul. Yeah. Uh, you know, but it's Donnie. So of course we'll, you know, we'll, I'll have to get out and see it and we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it at some point in the hopefully not too distant future. But we've got some other movie stuff to talk about, so let us move beyond our uh, holiday discussions into some actual movie news. So back to Santa's workshop with Mr. Ma and the news. Here at the uh, well, Santa's workshop news desk, um, actually we're talking about trailers, so we're going to keep moving on on that, on that line there and uh, do some more trailer talk. Um, so the big thing today, uh, just kind of coming out online the last couple of hours, the first teaser for uh, the new Stephen Chow film, uh, Mermaid, is up online. Um, there isn't really an English subtitle version out there yet, is there, right? Um, but we can talk about it. I mean, um, I, I think there is. I, I haven't checked, but somebody threw one up over at the uh, Love HK Film Group. I think it's a fan um, sub. Oh, a fan is it, sub is it fan sub? Okay, because so, there yeah. is no official yeah um um online version yet uh because it's really just china based right now right. but a short description of the trailer um it's pretty first, i mean it's pretty visual it's pretty easy to follow even if you don't speak chinese i mean um, right it's a you know it's a kind of a sight gag more than anything yeah yeah it's a great sight gag it's uh it's an interrogation scene with uh Deng chow playing a i guess unknown character speaking to the cops um trying to describe the the mermaid that kidnapped him and the the cop in very typical Stephen Chow fashion writes draws pretty much the wrong description every which way <laughs> except the right way um and and the end kind of the i guess the punchline is that the so while we're cutting in between the interrogation and uh the scene of these people looking at a mermaid emerge out of the water we see a pretty much a fat middle-aged guy as the mermaid uh, i guess dressed up as a mermaid so that's kind of visual uh, there are two different sight gags going on um honestly i giggled i i laughed very hard at it um um i i kind of look forward to it now uh nothing about no no plot details about the film yet except we know that it stars den chow um chris wu who was in uh uh let's see uh somewhere over, somewhere only we know the shu jing lei film and also mr six which coming comes out uh over christmas break uh this is kind of his third film and um uh, and also a newcomer uh, who plays the mermaid uh we actually haven't seen her face yet in the teaser so uh steven chow you know, kind of really dragging the mystery out here. Um, and the film opens on the first day of Chinese New Year in February, at least in China. And I expect that we, you know, what is New Year's about Stephen Chow movie in Hong Kong? So even though it might be Mandarin or very terribly dubbed Cantonese, um, I have a feeling we'll also be getting that film uh, for New Year's. So actually, just not re- not really talking about trailer, now that I realize this is going to be... Um, Another film that comes out on the same day is From Vegas to Macau 3. This is this may be the first time Stephen Chow, a Stephen Chow is a film going up directly against Wang Jing, who who was, you know, a frequent collaborator and actually the uh, known as the only one of the few directors who can actually stand working with Stephen Chow. So, uh, a very interesting matchup uh brewing here, Paul. Did they did they not have anything competing in uh, the year that uh the Conquering Demons uh, Monkey King film came out. It's been a while. I don't remember. No, I don't think Wang Jing had anything that, that for New Year's at that time. Because uh, Vegas to Macau is two, I want to say, 2014. 
uh, and and conquering the demons was 2013, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. So so and and back then, you know, Wang Jing directed a big Stephen Chow film. So so this really, I think this is seriously the first time Stephen Chow film will go directly head to head with a Wang Jing film. Hmm. Well, I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure that uh, we'll see both. So they're oh, gonna get, they're gonna get our money. <laughs> well, yeah, 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 yeah. I just I just sort of found that little. You know, it's interesting Hong Kong cinema bout, you know, kind mm. of head-to-head thing going on there. Of course, of course, one you see one director, Stephen Chow, has sort of moved on and sort of shifted towards the, completely towards the mainland, uh, making a Mandarin language film, while Wong Jing is appealing to the same market, but using what we Hong Kong audience are just kind of playing off the nostalgia of mainland audience for Hong Kong cinema. Um, kind of two very interesting directions going and, on. And... and- pretty much uh, loading the magazine as it were with star power right you right know, uh, so whereas i think that uh you know deng chow i mean he's not a huge name uh, that are a new huge draw down here for hong kong audiences right um and a couple of the comments over on um uh, the uh, forum on facebook was you know is stephen chow basically done acting is are we never going to see him in front of the camera again um, and I, I, I just think he doesn't have the, the interest to do that anymore. Yeah, I, I think the same. And, and I think that that he's much more a businessman. And he kind of likes to stay behind the scenes now. I think acting probably tires him out at this point. I think he just, and I don't mind, you know, he can do every, as long as he keeps making movies, as long as we keep getting his works. I don't care if he's in front of the camera, behind the camera. Um, yeah. That's that's what I think, and, and I saw there's some complaints about Mandarin, but come on, I mean, you know, it, actually Stephen Chow was the first was one of the first Hong Kong filmmakers to make movies up in China. Um, Shaolin Soccer shot entirely in China, um, so he was one of the first Hong Kong filmmakers to be shooting films in China. So I don't, I don't know what people expected. Well, I think the disappointment is is with him. A lot of the humor in his films came from the language. Okay, and you know it's it's very different. It you know you you just can't do the same kind of uh, linguistic gags in in Mandarin. I mean, you can do linguistic gags, but I think for people who are Cantonese speakers or who are learning Cantonese, it 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 doesn't have the same kind of humor. You know, um, I, I, I've there, what, what was the movie? Um, was it uh, the Lion Roars Two? I think, right. where they had a couple of these like comedians, and and you see this in the hybrid films every once in a while. They have these co- these comedians who are very popular in the mainland, but the humor down here, when it, when it plays down here, it just kind of falls flat because it's a different style of humor altogether. Um, and I guess it's just really culturally ingrained. Um, well, from the, the from a teaser uh, of Mermaid, it seems like Stephen Chow is. Playing and and we could tell from Conquering Demons as well that he's he's kind of become a much more visual director. Yes, yeah. um, which is a great thing, and I think he realizes that he's not going to be able to pull off films like Feng Shao Gang does. You know the yeah. way that he pulls off that kind of verbal humor. Although I I think actually Stephen Chow, I think the the dialogue in the Mermaid teaser was very funny. The way Stephen Chow pulled it off and and the way you know just sort of explained describing the mermaid i thought you know in in its own way in its own man- mandarin linguistic humor i thought it was very funny yeah uh, my one my one nitpick at the trailer is this that he once again is using the uh, song known as daring general which is featured on the uh, 
Kung Fu Hustle soundtrack, and I believe was used in um, uh, Conquering Demons when the Monkey King, uh, you know, uh, escaped and, uh, you know, got, got out of his, his prison, as it were. So I'm, I'm not sure if he's going to actually be using it in the film, if he's just using it in the trailer to remind people that this is a Stephen Chow movie, because maybe they associate the music um, with those two films. I just hope it's not going to also be in the film, because it's, if it is, I think it's time to move on to find a different song. No, I, it, well, it's a reference to the black and white uh, Wong Fei Hong films, isn't it? I thought it's from Wong Fei. Uh, one of the, yeah. the older, yeah. Yeah, no, I it's think that's it, it's, the, uh... it's 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 a very classical work, but he's used you know he's used it in yeah, he's three used three different plays film. now places much, now. So pretty much every film um, since Kung Fu, every film for the last fifteen years is a, he has a reference to that song. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, yeah. so uh, you know, I don't know. Find go go dig up a the soundtrack of Splash or something. I don't know. <laughs> Um, yeah, we've got other trailers to talk about, though, right? Right, another trailer popped up this week, and that's Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon Two. Uh, was it the full name? What the Green Destiny or something? Right? No, it's not called. not Electric Boogaloo. Right, might as well, honestly. <laughs> um, Paul, I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you. Uh, <laughs> I'll let you take this one. All right. Well. Okay, so Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, back in the day, uh, was a long time ago now. Uh, you know, it was a, it was a, you know, Ang Lee film, Ang Lee trying to do the wuxia genre. So if you've seen it, you kind of know a bit about it and the history and whatnot. You know, Chow Yun Fat and uh, was the film that kind of launched, um, uh, what's her name, Sophie's Revenge. Um, uh, Zhang Ziyi, right? Yeah, yeah, Zhang Ziyi. Um, you know, kind of launched her uh, onto the world stage and uh, really, you know, just got people interested in it. But I remember when it played here in Hong Kong, um, it was basically the same thing that you've got listed in the comments section, right? It was like, meh. <laughs> you know, the local reaction was just kind of, eh, you know, nobody cared about it because they're so used to seeing this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, done in the 90s and done on a regular basis, and in some cases done better. I only Hollywoodized it, and suddenly people in the West were raving about it, you know, as this, oh my gosh, you know, this it's this great thing based on kung fu movies, and isn't it wonderful? Um, and then, <laughs> you know, it started, you know, people started talking about Oscar stuff for it and everything, and then they came and re-released it over here, and everybody was going out to see it then, just because... The West suddenly fell in love with it. Now, oh, well, we've got to go watch it and look at it with a different lens now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a, it, it's been widely circulated that they've wanted to do a sequel for it um, for a while, I guess. And I think there was like a TV series done shortly after, um, a mainland or a Taiwan drama um, that, that was done uh, after the film. And so I didn't watch that, and I you know, don't know um, any of what's supposed to come after, if that's considered official or canon or whatnot or anything like that. But um, It's based on the same series of novels, right. uh, well, at least at least this this film, and I think Crouching Tiger is also kind of the middle of a series, I think. Right. So here, I mean, basically the basic story is Michelle Yeoh's in still, 
uh, Chow Yun-fat is out, and uh, I think Zhang Ziyi is not a part of it. Uh, we've got instead Donnie Yen, and um, is it, who, who's, the, who's, is it Tang Wei who's in it, or who? Tang Wei? No, 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 no Tang Wei. No, we um, don't have, there's no big stars besides, I think, Michelle Yeoh, and we'll, okay. we have Jason Scott Lee. Ah, uh, yes, as a sort of the big bad guy. The big baddie, yeah. And Whoa. he's big, he's pumped up, let me tell you, he's, he's, um, he's gotten pretty massive since his, uh, Dragon uh, Legend of Bruce Lee days. Right, um, right. But um, the thing that interests me about this is that it's being released on Netflix, right? And um, IMAX. Um, well, in, in the States. In the States. Yeah, and, and that, that's, that's day and date, right? So it's... In, in China, it's uh, in China is opening in cinemas on the New Year's, actually. Also, so same day as Mermaid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm wondering if we'll get it in Hong Kong IMAX. I mean, Hong Kong Netflix... Oh, no, that, you don't uh, think so. I I think it'll be they'll try. Well, it depends on the whole buy the rights issue. I mean, China it has is it will get its own theatrical release. There's not going to be a VOD thing. Um, I think for films like Beast of No Nation is going to be U.S. only because um, um, here Netflix only bought the rights to distribute in mm. the states. Mm. Um, the Weinstein's actually produced the film, and 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 a lot of people sort of. I know the whole Netflix is just Netflix original movie, but actually they only bought the distribution rights. They're not, they're not the producer of the film. Mm. Um, uh, so they only have U.S. distribution rights. So I think I can see the Weinstein's would be a lot more keen on selling the 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 theatrical rights for Asia, knowing that you know people will go see it in well, ideally people will go see it in right. cinemas. Um, but yeah, okay. So the trailer, you know, there's this little weird electronic um, English music. Um, it reveals that the film is in English, um, and um, it's directed by Yuen Wo Peng. And clearly, the the film is a very different look from the uh, the different from the original. Um, this film looks like it's definitely shot in a studio. I mean, we all know that it's shot in a studio, but um, the sort of studio look of it it's even more apparent yeah, a lot lot of green screen a lot of green screen lot of, like uh, if you've seen the, um you know the monkey king just a lot of uh i mean the, the action looks okay but it you, you just tell you can tell it's not uh, uh it's not very dynamic because it's just cgi um in terms of a lot of what's being destroyed and a lot of what's being reacted to in, in some of the, some it, of the it kind of sequences it kind of brought me that that true legend vibe. Which yeah, I don't yeah, know that's what, a good point. I don't know what to think, and also it's very flat digital look. Yeah, um, Crouching Tiger was shot thirty five millimeter. This shot in video, but the thing is, digital digital filmmaking has has gone so far that at some point you you some good film. I mean, a lot of films you actually can't really tell the difference anymore between. Um, a really good digital cinematography, a really properly shot film on digital, and a film, um, at least, at least to the you know to the regular audience eyes. I mean, to us audience cinephile, we always kind of say that you know film has a dis- distinct look that cannot be replaced. But a lot, of, quite a few films shot on digital you know, on the Ari Alexa or Red, they they actually do with the right color timing. They do look as good as um, certain film films. Um, but not this one for some reason. They they very much kept a flat, almost Netflix like look there, didn't they? Yeah, and you, I mean, you you could kind of parallel it to the looks of, um, you know, if you if you've watched the uh, Daredevil series, or um, I'm still I'm still only a couple episodes in on uh, their follow up. Um, 
Jessica Jones. Jessica Jones, you know. Um, that's not to say it looks cheap. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to fit the same kinds of um, color tones and, and just the same overall look that the, the first one had. Exactly. I, I mean, I'll see it. I'm, I'm, you know, poor Michelle Yeoh. She just has like uh, the touch of death for stuff that she does. You know, it's like she gets involved in these projects and uh, um, they just look like they're doomed, right? I mean, um, I'm, I'm hopeful that this does well for her, but just from what I've been shown in the trailer, I'm, I've got a sinking feeling that it's uh, not going to do very well. Well, for Netflix, I mean, all they need, the thing about Netflix is that the film doesn't have to do well theatrically. I mean, the whole point is to get in subscribers. Um, I'm not sure how this film will do in terms of getting subscribers, but, um, I mean, for Netflix, it's like just for branding, it's already good enough for them. So for them, it's already a win. Um, I'm not sure what's going to happen when it's going up against, you know, Mermaid and and from Megas to Macau Free. It's going to be a, a uphill battle in terms of Chinese box office, I think. It, and it, it doesn't seem like a a New Year's film, you know. It's I think people are going to want to see. So why are people films? Why why are there so many fanboys who are sort of like gushing over this? I mean, like I, I honestly for me the great Don, Donnie Yen and Michelle Yeoh have been in movies before together. They were in Wing Chun, and that to me will be like forever the great Donnie Yen Michelle Yeoh pair of Wing Chun. Sure. Um, that movie's hilarious. I thought it's just great. You know, Hong Kong cinema. I, this this is you know this is like. There's like uh, a Shu Jen making Lost in Hong Kong for me. Hmm. You know, it's making uh, a wuxia film um, uh, through the eyes of, through Western eyes, kind of, you know, um, just like Lost in Hong Kong is a Hong Kong cinema made through Chinese eyes. So yeah. for me, it's kind of the same deal. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I don't really expect anything other than that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And speaking of bad trailers, <laughs> shall we talk about the uh, Superman Batman? <laughs> well, um, I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you start. <laughs> wow. Uh, okay. Okay. Well. Okay. We both did not like the trailer, did we? Uh, I did not. I, I did, I did not. not. I, I felt like I've seen most of the film already. Uh, I, yeah, pretty much. Um, I, I was kind of in a bad mood with the teaser that they released. I thought the two teasers were just fine. Um, I don't mind watching those again. They kind of set the thing. I mean, it's, it's like telling you the story, but not really. They say, oh, they're going to fight, and, and that's all you know, and I kind of like that. That's kind of okay. Um, but now it's just like they just pretty much told you pretty everything. That, yeah, they're going to yeah. fight, and then they're going to get along. Like, it, yeah. you know. I, well, which is to be expected. I mean, you know, based on the title, Dawn of Justice, that, you know, at some point, they're going to get together and say, "Hey, we should make a a group, and we'll call it, uh, you know, the Justice League." Oh and right! I'll, I'll, I'll build that. the Hall of Justice, and then we'll get an announcer to say, "Back at the Hall of Justice." <laughs> yeah, but don't don't do that in the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no. What you don't do in the trailer is reveal the big bad, right? Right. Which is exactly what they did. And you mean Lux Luther. No, the um, doomsday. Doomsday. Yeah, I mean, ah. the, the fact that the fact that they showed that it was just like okay. And somebody said uh, something. I think it was probably pretty appropriate. They said uh, this is a trailer for the uh, the mainstream audience, right? Because they're not going to know, you know, um, apples to oranges who doomsday is. Right. 
and you know, so it's there to give them the pacing of you know, sort of sort of what to expect, and you know, pretty much reveals everything except one thing, um, and and their whole I guess they're holding that thing back like it's the big ace in the hole, you know, um, which it's not, but because uh, I you know, there's already been some sites talking about the action figure and whatnot, so um, I don't know, I just. I, the, it, I, I in, think in the Lux Luthor thing was kind of weird. I mean, the whole like, oh, it's Lex funny. Lex is just and... well, he's just not Lex. I mean, that's not that. That's a that's a you know, a, a funny Zuckerberg kind of kid. That's not who Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor is supposed to be like this, you know, um, brilliant but maniacal older gentleman. And, and you know, they want to you know, caps encapsulate that as as. Uh, you know, a Mark Zuckerberg, then okay, you know, uh, I mean, uh, we'll see it, sure, um, but in the, in the pantheon of uh, the Marvel DC uh, throwdown, uh, you know, you, you look at Civil War, and, and what they did in that trailer, and you compare that, and it's just like night and day. Honestly, I, I, I would be happy to be wrong. I will be happy I will, to be I will too, I will too, but um, the, for me, the, the main thing that I'm interested in seeing I don't care about Superman. I I have I didn't like Man of Steel. I'm not real keen on um, the the way they're portraying Superman. I, his design, his look, nothing has really said to me this is Superman. Um, but I am very interested in the Batman storyline, and I'm very interested to see you know Affleck do his Bruce Wayne. A lot of people have been very down on that, but I'm you know I was I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt and see what he does with it. I'm very interested to see how they, you know, tie in with the background story and some of the things that they've already shown in the trailer. And I'm yeah. very interested to see how this carries over to Suicide Squad. So that's what interests me more than anything else, more than the two of them, you know, duking it out. And certainly not Doomsday, because it looks like they're just totally recreating an origin for Doomsday, which is a, a far cry different from uh, what's in the comics. Right. But, uh, you know, and hey, Wonder Woman. Oh, yeah, that was a spoiler, too. Bastard. So it's all there. Um, it's all there. So unless, unless all that stuff happens in the first 15 minutes of the film, then well played, Mr. Snyder. Yeah. Well played. Yeah, it, it could. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Uh, it's going to be an interesting year, to be sure. Um, all right, but I think that's enough for our trailer talk, right? Uh, we've got a little bit of non-trailery news. Yeah, one more one more piece of news. Um, the Hong Kong Film Awards, um, for some reason, decided to announce the host for the show, uh, even though it's not happening for another four months. Mr. Lao Ching Wan um, will be hosting this next year's Hong Kong Film Awards, um, which is, I guess, a big step from the usual host, which is Gordon Lamb, I guess, after last year's... Uh, uh, performance. Um, I, I I I don't know how they got Lao Ching Wan to do it, but Lao Ching Wan agreed, and Lao Ching Wan is now an award show host. Um, so does this mean he's going to be presenting himself with an award? No, I'm sure they'll get someone. No, no, you no. There have been nominated. I mean, Eric Zhang, who's like the host every year, has been nominated numerous times. Of course, he's not gonna. He never someone else present that category. Obviously. No, but they should just let him do it. No, I mean, why not just to say, <laughs> all right, uh, and the nominees are this guy, that guy, that guy, and me. And the winner is me. 
you know, and get up and do a little dance, and you know, that would be much more interesting than the no standard ch- format. Mr. Lau is not that kind of dude. Let's face it, Mr. Lau ain't that kind of dude. Hey, come on, he's the, his name is Sean. All right, so he, he can be whatever kind of dude he wants to be. And that's it from the news desk. <laughs> let's uh, let's. Uh, uh, anyway, I'm excited for the show, and uh, yeah, okay, um, <laughs> talk back to you. Okay, so why don't we take a short musical interlude, and we'll be back with our review of Port of Call. You used to call me on my cell phone. And we're back. Our film this week is Port of Call from director Philip Young. Um, this is a very interesting movie because it's uh, in part based on true events, and we also have a very well-known cinematographer Christopher Doyle behind the lens. So the story itself... Um, now, if you want to go into this cold because you don't know the true events, um, you're probably not going to want to listen to this review, right? Because it's going to be spoilerish. But if you know the events already, then, uh, as most people in Hong Kong did and do, um, there's nothing really to be spoiled here. But, uh, you know, just let me throw this out that uh, the, the movie itself, a lot of the key points are going to be spoiled as we, as we talk about them. That's just because it's, you know, it's, it's a well-known tale, as it were. So it's based on true events. Um, Port of Call tells the story of a teenage immigrant girl named Wang Jiamei, who moves to Hong Kong and gets caught up in the compensated uh, dating scene. Um, her murder, which happens a bit later, gets the attention of a local police inspector named Chong, played by Eric Aaron Kwok. And things take a turn for the strange when Jiamei's killer actually turns himself in. And this, um, this prompts Inspector Chong to take uh, a much more um, serious interest in the case, into looking in, not to the how, but more into the why um, this thing has happened. <coughs> Excuse me. So uh, let me say up front that uh, there are two versions of this in the cinema. And there's a th- short theatrical re- release, which I think runs about 98 minutes or so. And then there's a longer director's cut. Um, I think maybe Kevin can give us some insight as to why they went this route. Um, but I saw the shorter release. Uh, Kevin's seen the longer release, so um, hopefully yep. at the end he can fill in uh, maybe some of the blanks uh, that were left out of the shorter release. From what I understand, it's more character backstory. Um, but there may be some other elements that he wants to um, tag on. <coughs> Excuse me. So this is a hard film to watch, um, in part because if you know the story, which happened in 2009, they're kind of sticking to 
uh, a lot of the graphic parts of, of that story itself. So that story, um, they've changed the names slightly uh, of uh, some of the characters involved, but it's basically, um, when it gets into the graphic side of things, um, that's you know what was reported, that's what happened. So this girl was uh, involved in a compensated dating, um, which is this cultural carryover, which is identified as coming from Japan, known as Enjo Kosai, which is basically young girls who go to these websites and you know put up their profiles, and then men can uh, hire them for dates, right? So you know so many hundreds of dollars per hour to go out to dinner and to go out to watch a movie together, and of course. You know, over time, if the two hit it off, they the dates can turn into physical relationships as well. So it's a kind of teenage prostitution, basically. But they don't call it this. They 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 you know they don't they're very precise in saying that okay, they don't consider themselves prostitutes because um, they just don't take clients immediately for sex, basically. So it's this more sort of longer played out kind of idea. And so, Enjo Kosai, how do they pronounce it in, uh, in Cantonese? It's like Wun Ga or something, Kevin? Wun Jo Gao Zai, which is a four letter word. Enjo yeah. uh, Kosai is Japanese. Right. Um, um, yeah, Wun Jo Gao Zai, and then shortened is called Wun Gao. Um, even though actually those words are not muttered in the film at all. Not right. once. Right. Yeah. Right. They don't refer to what she does as, as that. But uh, right. I think people who know what, how it goes, you know, know, know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so this was, uh, as I said, based on a real murder from uh, 2009. The character involved in the film here um, is named Ting Tsi Tong. Uh, in reality, his name was uh, Ting Kai Tai, if I remember correctly. He, um, now, one of the big plot points of the film, as I said, is that he turns himself in to the police um, for committing the murder. That is a big divergence from the real case, apparently. Um, the basics of the story were that he had hired her, um, uh, Wang Jiamei, for a date, and they were, I guess, high on ketamine, and uh, they were having intercourse or had had intercourse, and then he ended up killing her um, and passing out. Now, he claimed he did not have any memory of killing her, um, but when he woke up and found her dead body, he claimed he freaked out, and so he basically chopped her up. Um, stuffed part of her down the toilet and tried to flush it. Um, took her, I think, her bones and like tried to, you know, um, pass the, throw them away in various market areas where they have like you know street meat markets and things. And uh, famously, as was reported in many of the news reports, he w- had uh, taste taken her head, put it in a bag, and basically, I I, I had remembered. And I could be wrong that he had gotten on a minibus with it and went to the seaside to toss the head into the sea. But um, it was a normal bus, double decker bus. It was a normal bus. Film. Okay. Uh, I took it to the, the Calhoun City Pier and, and threw away the head there. Yeah. Um, so that's, the, that's the, the nature of the murder. And that's pretty much reenacted here uh, in, in the film. So where they diverge is they get into a lot of the backstory of. Um, the the character, both the characters, the boy and the girl, and a little bit with the police inspector played by Aaron Kwok. 
And so, yeah, the, the big change here is that he turns himself in, and this prompts Aaron's character to become interested in, and, and actually kind of strikes up a bit of a relationship with um, the, this, this character. He's a, he's a truck driver, you know, he does deliveries. Um, they show him as kind of having a temper, but also being a bit of a loner. He has a relationship with this girl that he likes, but she doesn't, you know, show affection to him. Um, at least not a, not a real sense of affection. She kind of, I guess she's, she uses him in, in some ways. On the other side, um, for the Wang Jiamei's uh, character, um, she's coming in from mainland China to live with her mother. Um, as I understand it, her mother has remarried. Her father, her, her biological father, is still back in China. So she comes to live with her mother and her sister, and, you know, she's kind of caught up with the bright lights, big city kind of idea. She wants to have nice things and fancy things, and ultimately she gets um, pulled into this modeling agency, but she's not good-looking enough, really, to make it as a model, so she gets, you know, pushed over into this area where she can, you know, make money through compensated dating. And here she picks up a couple clients, and uh, ultimately this leads her to, you know, we, we uncover that, you know, this leads her to um, Ting Chi Chong, who um, ultimately is, you know, her, her demise. Now, uncovering, the, the interesting part is that it's not that sort of straightforward, right? It's not just uh, sort of a sudden act of passion. Uh, we learn a lot over time. The film is presented in a very nonlinear manner, kind of jumps around to different times. And so it can be a little bit uh, disorienting to follow, but they do a really good job with the editing so that by the end you have a very clear picture of the story, of um, why the thing happened, um, so you know, sort of motivations, if you will. And you come to kind of almost empathize with all three of the, the, the main characters and the positions they're in. Um, now, the brutality in this film is, um, is pretty graphic. Um, and so it's a Category 3 film, and... Uh, I was, I was quite surprised, I would say, um, at the sort of visceral depictions. I mean, they, they had some pretty good effects, practical effects, um, and that combined with some very effective cinematography, I think, really left a very strong impact. Um, not quite as brutal as Dream Home, I would say, but still very, very close, very, very effective um, in, in some of the scenes, some of the sequences. Uh, really powerful performances from the three characters. I'm I'm known to be not be a huge fan of Aaron, but I think he did a really credible job here. Um, the two the two kids definite contenders for the best new artists. I think um, both for them. I think both of them. This is their first film. Uh, the actress playing uh, Wang Jiamei is named Chun Sha. I, I can't recall ever seeing her in anything else. Um, the actor playing Ting Chi Chong is uh, Michael Ning. I don't think he's done film work, but I have seen him do stage work locally. I've seen uh, uh, at least one or two performances of him. He was part of an ensemble group of um, these comedian musicians, I think, and uh, he's a pretty funny guy. And this is a very different kind of role uh, for him, uh, based on what I've seen him do before. Uh, you have supporting work here from Patrick Tam, uh, Harriet Young. And Maggie Sue. Um, I was very impressed with Harriet Young because she's normally uh, playing sort of these loudmouth, uh, 
sort of uh, wacky characters, and you know, she's very often with um, uh, Tyson and, and Jim Chim. And here she's just kind of, you know, a very normal sort of uh, police officer and very downplayed, um, very, very interesting role for her, I think. Um, Aaron's character is also very quirky, very subdued. Um, he has some weird habits. And I couldn't pick up on, I, I might have missed a thing uh, somewhere, but uh, he takes Polaroids of himself wherever he goes. Um, and I might have missed an explanation somewhere that uh, did, did no, you? No, never explained. No, yeah, never. Okay. Not even director's cut. Not explained. <clears throat> so, so yeah, he just like he goes to these places. Sometimes it's crime scenes. Sometimes people's homes, and he just has people take Polaroids of him, and it's just this weird but interesting, you know, kind of quirky trait. Um, um, we learn he's divorced um, and that he has a daughter. He does have kind of a breakdown scene. You know, you it can't be an Aaron film, I guess, without a breakdown scene. Uh, where he kind of laments the case, and uh, he's thinking about his daughter. But he's not as over-the-top as other stuff he's been in, and I think and, you know, the scene was well handled um, based on the moment. Um, and uh, I could relate also, sort of having a daughter. Um, but I was a bit confused, because with that scene, I w wasn't really sure if something had happened to his daughter, because it w almost got to the point like, wait, is is his daughter dead or did something happen or um but that doesn't seem to be the case um because we uh hear more about her later oh wait does his daughter not show up in the film no she does he has a bus ride with her yeah yeah that scene's still in there right okay. um How about the scene at the zoo no there was not a scene at the zoo okay here we go i don't okay. think okay, yeah here, okay um i don't think so yeah there can't be a scene at the zoo because if they cut the other scene, then there can't be a scene in the zoo. Was that tacked on with the bus ride, perhaps? Or? No, no, it's at the end of the film. Because okay. it recalls a, a major deleted sequence in the film. Uh, no. The actual there, there was not a, There was not, not a scene at the zoo. Um, okay. And okay. Just, the, just the scene on, he has a bus ride with her, uh, the two of them, and then he mentions her at the end of the film, um, just in a, in a discussion. We don't see her again. Okay. Um, but he talks about her and his, uh, his ex-wife. Okay, this will come then. Then we can talk about this a little bit later. Yeah. Um. So so yes. Uh, uh. So some good supporting work. Maggie Sue is kind of like his superior. Um. And the, his, his and she has um some 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 good um, uh, interesting work in it. Um. The interesting thing too, one particular sequence was that the actual guy who did the murder, uh, Ting Kai Tai, um, he claimed that he because he confessed at a certain point, but he claimed the confession was beaten out of him by the police, um, and they had to listen to that confession in the court case. And so we, we see that replayed out here, sort of a video confession of him meticulously saying exactly what he did to the body, um, and, and it's kind of reenacted graphically. Um, so yeah, so... While they don't get into that idea, they don't, because here uh, he's turning himself in, he comes across, you know, once he's arrested, very soft-spoken, and he kind of, um, and Aaron gets interested in him, and they kind of have a, you know, they build this, I wouldn't say a friendship, but kind of a working relationship for a bit. Um, but there is a scene earlier where uh, Patrick Tam takes another suspect, who's like a friend of his, into an interrogation room, and they talk, and they, 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 you know, do do they don't really show it, but they make like he was beating uh, this other suspect, but then he gets beaten up worse. 
the Patrick Tam police officer character. So uh, they kind of make a slight little gag of that, um, which is kind of an interesting parallel considering that um, the original character or the actual guy says that he actually had a confession beaten out of him. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so, the, yeah, uh, it, it, again, it jumps around, but it does. it's very effective at the storytelling. Um, the end of the movie, though, I find rather odd because um, it goes beyond the court case, and then it kind of, the, there's a scene with Aaron kind of revisiting the family of the Wang Jiamei character and building this relationship from just out of left field that just seemed really weird. I guess it could be realistic. You know, I guess it, I'm not saying it couldn't happen, but it just seemed just kind of odd. Um, and uh, so, yeah. Um, as I said, a Category 3 rating due to nudity, sexual situations, um, and gore, right? So it's the triple threat people. Um, it, it's, it's, it's all there. Um, Christopher Doyle's cinematography... Um, kind of paints Hong Kong as a in this dull sort of drab, almost monotone color, but it works really well, I think, for um, the tone of the film. And with this being based on true events, this film can sit on the shelf alongside movies like The Untold Story or The Rapist, um, which were also you know based on true events that happened here in Hong Kong. But this film has a much better crafting um, than than either of those films don't know if it'll get the same kind of cult following um, for to be sure but um, it does just have a better sort of overall feel and look to it um, it does build on ideas presented in uh, the Kenneth B movie girls from 2010 that movie uh, which came out a year after this crime uh, touched on the idea of that crime it, it wasn't a part of the main storyline but it was kind of alluded to in, a, in an opening scene and then it was something that the girls um, who are also, you know, practicing this um, compensated dating in that movie, were talking about in relation to, you know, some of their other friends. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so yeah, this is a, a could be an interesting companion piece to that film. But while that uh, that film really just kind of hints at these ideas, this film gives us sort of the full story, if you will, although a modified one. The um, the one thing I would say is that the film does bog down a little bit um, in that when it talks, uh, focuses on the Wang Jiamei character and her move into the world of compensated dating, it does kind of get tied down with a couple tropes. Um, one of those being that she falls in love with one of her clients who promptly just kind of dumps on her um, because, you know, he's got like a normal girlfriend and... Um, <coughs> I guess she has delusions that, you know, he's going to be the one with her and so she doesn't charge him. And, you know, it's that kind of thing that you've seen in a lot of these kind of movies just ends badly for the character. That seems to be one of the things that ends up kind of really pushing her uh, to the edge, as it were. <coughs> um, they do give a memoriam to the uh, actual... Um, the, the actual victim uh, at the end of the film, which was a, you know, a nice touch considering that this is really a, uh, a film dealing directly with those events. Um, in, uh, in the long and short of the whole thing, um, I, re I, I look at this film the way I look at Dream Home. It's an excellent film. It's excellently made. 
well acted. It's not a film I don't think I can watch again. You know, it's just, it's just okay. it's that, that kind of heavy of a film. I do want to see the director's cut at some point, so I will watch it again. Um, thankfully, Dream Home doesn't have a director's cut, so I don't have to watch that again. <laughs> um, but this is, this is one of those films that, for me, I have to recommend to people to see it because it's, it's you know, related to things going on here. It's very much rooted in Hong Kong because of, you know, the, the, the nature of the narrative, because it's such a well-crafted film. But it's not something that I'd say is going to be on the replay list, um, at least not for a long, long time. So, Kevin, what, what can you add for us having seen the director's cut? So I, I've, read, I've read some online um, description about the differences between the two. There are about 20 minutes uh, of difference. Um, there's a main sequence regarding... Um, so one scene... Um, Aaron goes to talk to uh, the guy who works in the evidence room. I think it's a cameo by an older actor. Forgot his name already. But they the the idea is that they used to be partners. I think or or they used to work together and they recall um, another really gruesome murder case uh, that that Aaron dealt with. It was, I think it's one of his first. And you know they talk about the the sort of brutality of these murders and and it sort of reinforces uh, Aaron's character about him believing that their humanity in, in murderers, that humanity lives within the, the hearts of murderers or his hope, his optimism that there is still some humanity left in the minds of these murderers. So that's kind of why in the film, I'm not sure how your version kind of is, but he's clearly very sympathetic towards the uh, uh, Ding Ding Chong character, uh, the murderer, despite what he's done. Um, the Aaron character throughout is actually quite sympathetic towards him. Um, and I think that scene sort of reinforces that. Um, and and the zoo scene at the end is actually a, a character that resurfaces from that flashback, which is why they cut out the zoo scene, which has um, Aaron, the ex-wife, and the daughter at the zoo uh, going to the zoo and then seeing that character that comes from the flashback. Mm. Um, so that's why it got cut out. Um, from what I've heard, also, there were uh, just trims of one piece, small piece of dialogue um, in every scene. William Chang and uh, Chang Sok Peng, who edits um, Wong Kar Wai's films, came in and did, did the, the theatrical cut. And apparently, it was a very smart, cleverly done there, uh, theatrical cut in that it doesn't cut entire, entire sequences, but rather snippets of dialogues throughout the film and bits of the humor throughout the film. I think um, uh, there were a lot of. Um, these humorous parts with Maggie Sue's character and uh, and with um, Patrick Tam's character. Um, uh, there's a Facebook joke in the film. I'm not sure if it's, was there a Facebook joke in the theatrical version, Paul. There there was a mention that uh, Aaron wasn't on Facebook. Right. Um, okay. That was I think intended to be um, somewhat humorous, but it didn't. You know, it wasn't uh, the only really kind of big humorous moment again goes back to the interrogation thing everything else was very you know patrick tam smoking in places he shouldn't be and um you know just kind of mentioning that aaron's character wasn't on facebook making him kind of like uh, you know an old man not up to date this kind of thing was there anything about maggie sue talking to her her uh, housekeeper in english uh, on the phone, yeah, there on was, the phone, there, yeah. there's, you know, like she kept saying, like, oh, you have to go do this, or, you know, uh, he forgot an instrument or something like that, yeah. Oh, wow, okay, so well, I'm surprised they kept a lot of that stuff. Okay, so, but apparently, yeah, just, just continuously trimming these small bits of 
dialogue throughout the film. Um, so apparently, much of the plot is is kept kept intact in the theatrical version, which is quite quite impressive. But um, yeah, um, but the director's cut is is kind of a little more leisurely paced, I think, in a way, and uh, it does feel very long as well, but a bit more muddled. But I think the the uh, the time structure, the narrative structure, remains the same, and the the main story remains the same. And I'm surprised they even kept the whole daughter part of the, the story. So. It seems like a lot of stuff got kept, so uh, it seems like it's actually not that huge of a difference. I'm wondering, was there much more with the um, um, with the uh, mother character? Um, I think who was that? Uh, Elaine. Elaine Jin. Yeah, because um, they, you know, they do spend a little bit of time with her showing that she's not really a compensated. Uh, dating girl but she does kind of work as a pr hostess it looks like she's a lounge she's a she's, yeah. a, she's a restaurant singer a yeah. lounge singer so to speak which which um, is is kind of on that gray area of you know uh of back in the you know the days of pr girls kind of stuff you know she's kind of like a carryover you know she's older now so i doubt anybody's going to be wanting to be um you know uh, taking her home and she she too she's like got a husband in Hong Kong because she's left her husband in the mainland. Her husband in Hong Kong kind of bedridden, basically, um, what right. it looks like throughout the movie. So using him to get come to Hong Kong, essentially. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, you, I mean, you know, it's, it's tied up with this idea of, you know, trying to, you know, get women trying to get ahead, um, you know, through using their body, basically, in diff- different ways, um, you know, just trying to make a living. Um I don't know, to me to me the film is is very much about loneliness. It's about these three very lonely people. Um the the Dong Tishong character, his his there's a really extended plot about him this girl that he he loves, he falls he's in love with but can't have. Um again the 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 young um compensated girl, dated girl who has this guy that, you know, her sort of her clients that she really likes. Um, and even Aaron, who doesn't have a, who only pretty much has his work and is divorced and doesn't have a family and can't even use Facebook, so all he does is live sort of through his cases. And I think this this is a very interesting portrait using and and we would, no Hong Kong has a long history. Well, not a long history, but it has a very is a history of explo- exploitative crime films, true crime films. Um, and I kind of have a feeling that that Philip Young is is, is sort of working off. He wanted. He's familiar with the true crime genre in Hong Kong, and kind of wanted to do something very different from that, and actually want to say something else about Hong Kong or about the city, using a very true crime, seemingly true crime exploitative uh, exploitation film. And I think, in that sense, Port of Call is a very successful film in that it's not a really crime film, but really it's a portrait of of loneliness. Um, to me, I think that's really the most interesting thing about about Port of Call. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd agree. I, it, it, it really does sort of center around either the back and forth of, of these three characters um, and looking at, you know, how their, their sort of lives intersect when it comes to uh, this case. Um, especially the, the, the Teng Chi Chung character, you know, you learn a bit more about him and, uh, you know, they, they, again, they reveal bits and pieces of information to, to try and get you to think, all right. Well, is maybe this is the reason why the thing happened, um, and but then ultimately, you know, other things come up, and you realize that okay, no, it wasn't that. It was, you know, the, the, this culmination of other things. 
Um, and uh, again, it's 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 a movie that would have been terrible had it not been edited so well because it is making you know it's not told in a linear fashion and it is making these jumps. But it stay it stands as you know at least in the ninety eight minute version stands as very cohesive. I think. Um, I would be interested to see more of the director's cut though, because if, especially if it's got a little bit more about Aaron in it, because um, I think I would have liked to have gotten a little bit more insight into his character than we were given in the shorter version. East Green, West Green. All right, you have been listening to the East Green, West Green podcast. Our theme music was co- composed by Rob Jabowers of Snauzer Radio Orchestra. Research has come from a variety of sources, but primarily lovehkfilm.com and the Hong Kong Movie Database. We have a tremendous amount of support, though, from uh, listeners like you. If you would like to be part of the show, you can get in touch with us via the website at concast.com. Uh, you can write to us at uh, twitter.com slash concast. Or you can send us an email, um, the east, that is uh, eastscreen at gmail.com. And you can uh, hit us up over on you know, social media like Facebook. We have a site over there, East S. West S. And I actually did get a comment from a listener to the show, and uh, he was referring to our last episode when Mr. Ma and I got in the little bit of debate. Uh, if you'll remember, we were talking about the idea of, uh, you know, watching stuff at the cinema space or, um, you know, kind of going with the stream. And uh, he, he just basically wrote in saying that uh, uh, he's a little bit in my camp, that uh, he said he, um, he he agrees with me a bit more. He finds that uh, the home experience is a bit more enjoyable because of you know some of the reasons I laid out. That you know it's a bit more controlled. Um, says he'd rather wait for a Blu-ray DVD release of a film, um, especially um, says a lot of the films that he watches are foreign and only get released in on art house cinemas, and uh, the times are very often not good to go out and watch those right. Um, so that's, you know, a, a somewhat specialized case, you know, where you there are films you want to see, but you just don't have access to them. So, of course, to, the home experience is the only thing, you know, the only option you have going. To be honest, while I was doing the Star Wars marathon over the weekend, I was able to, you know, uh, do my laundry, wash my dishes, do my taxes. So I actually got a lot more done than if I had to go watch all those movies in uh I appreciate watching it by myself at home uh, on Blu-ray. So, so okay, there you go. Yeah. Well, as Vader would say, impressive. Most impressive, right? Um, so good on you for uh, getting all of that done, sir. And uh, thanks to uh, the listener for writing in and uh, sharing his thoughts with us. Again, get, through, get, get in contact with us through any of those channels if you would like to, and we would love to hear from you um, about anything. So let us know. I'd also urge you to follow along with Mr. Ma and what he's doing, what he's writing, uh, being the mover and shaker that he is. So, sir, where can they get more in touch with what you do? Well, you can read my Twitter uh, at Golden Rock. Um, at the Golden Rock. Um, you can email me at Kevin at filmbiz.asia. You can read my weekly or monthly work on Discovery Magazine uh, on your Catholic Pacific or Dragonair flights or uh, the iPad app. Search Discovery on the App Store uh, and you can find the, 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 the uh, uh, yeah, on your iPad. Uh, Film Business Asia is still there. That's all I can say. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> I'll tell. I'll tell. Uh, uh, yeah, it's okay. still there. So still there. Uh, you know, stuff stuff might be there. Uh, right. Sometime. Uh, that's all I can say. Yeah, that's it. Uh, right. or you can email me at kevinfmbiz.asia. That email still works. But. Yeah, yeah. So all your uh, Star Wars hate mail, right to that. <laughs> Right to that, that address. I gushed about the prequels, man. I mean, yeah. what what the? <laughs> uh, all right. So, yes, next show uh, episode will be episode 181. Don't know. Maybe a Star Wars show if we can work that out. Or we'll be back in the new year. So something uh, will be happening in the future. Not sure what it will be at this time. We'll try and keep you updated through the sites we mentioned just a moment ago. So all of that and more on our next show. Until then, this is the East Green, West Green podcast saying happy holidays, and we'll see you next time. See you next time, everybody. Uh.